or a guest, but a child at home. Good morning and morning. If you happened to be here yesterday, you would have seen people of resurrection at work. They were on ladders all around this church, uh, cleaning things, scrubbing things. There was mopping and dusting and vacuuming going on and uh, recycling and even e-cycling of old technology. Um, I had to say a few prayers when I walked around the campus and saw people working. Uh, the one gentleman over here on top of a ladder putting a ballast in so we had a good light. And I said, oh God, just keep him safe on top of that ladder. He said, I'm not afraid of heights. And I said, well, okay, stay safe. And then out here on the brick wall, uh, Brenda was there with her pruning shears and her handsaw, leaning back. I mean, she's sitting on it, but she's leaning back so she can get those crepe myrtles in just the right place. I'm saying, oh God, if I could put a safety belt around her, I would, if she would let it. <laughs> you know, there's that to consider too. And at the same time, all of that church stuff is going on over here in the chapel. Reverend Diaz is conducting a funeral service for one of our pantry patrons. So this morning we're here to worship church and know that church has been happening all week in this space and in this place of ministry. It is good to be here with you full time. They've even got me decked out now. <laughs> this robe is from the um, uh, pastoral search committee and I thank them for that. It actually has a dust ruffle on the bottom. So, <laughs> so, so when I saw the prodigal father running down that dusty road, I was thinking, oh, he needs a dust ruffle on his tunic there. Keep it in place. And the staff gave me this wonderful purple stole. And what's important to me as a gay man is that it matches the rest of them. <laughs> I'm just very happy it has to match. Well, we were church, and now we're moving to church today in worship with hugs of peace and music and prayer and praise, with laughter to worship God. We're using these lectionary readings during the season of Lent, the 40 days of the wilderness that gets us ready for Easter. All of it's to get us ready for Easter. And I find it exciting that around the world today, churches, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Catholic, you know, Presbyterian, Methodist, are all reading this same passage. Uh, and together we discern what God's trying to tell us in the, in the scripture today. I don't know if they had as fine an acting out as the Jubilee players did for us this morning. I just got to love it that the prodigal's inheritance was in a pink bag. Did y'all notice that? This is all the good stuff. Here you go, in the pink bag. Two weeks ago, we entered this Lenten season uh, to get ready for Easter. Uh, Reverend Kristen took us to the wilderness and she reminded us that in the wilderness, uh, that experience of the wilderness is something that we just have to go through. We can't avoid it, we can't go around it, that we must sit in it and listen to it and have it teach us that the wilderness is what we must go through. And when we get through that wilderness, we know at a deeper level who we are and who we can tell others that we are. And when we look at that account in the scripture, Jesus is in that wilderness for 40 days like we're in Lent for 40 days and comes out of it and literally comes out, tells his coming out story. You know, this is who you might have expected the Messiah to be, but this is who I am. And it may not be what you expected, but this is what you get. Thank God. Jesus' coming out story. This is who I am. And last week, 
Reverend Janice shared the way Jesus unhinged cause and effect, a very human way of wanting to see the world and make things make sense. Jesus showed that that's faulty judgment. We can't equate everything bad in our life is because we did something bad. Or everything good in our life is because we did something good. Jesus is saying it just isn't that way. You know? Now realize that a lot of the people listening to these are the people who want it to be that way. They think they're right in their judgment of everyone else. You know, they're doing okay in their world. So Jesus has taken away their ability to blame and shame and keep themselves separate. It's no simple answer. I remember back when HIV infection meant that you had maybe, if you were lucky, 24 months to live. And I remember the gurus at that time, a couple of them, preaching positive thinking. And they were telling folks that if, if you have good thoughts, you'll be well. And if you happen to have a bad thought this week, you're going to get sick. And I was appalled. Jesus says that's not so. Their body betrayed them, and then their faith betrayed them. And their religion shamed them, blamed them, that they didn't have faith enough. Jesus says no to this understanding of life. It is not so simple. Stop judging in this way. This week, the lessons don't get any easier if you're one of those who likes the hierarchy and the way things are. You're going to have to listen to some more. The Pharisees are grumbling. Did you catch that? They're grumbling because the people they try to keep out are coming close to Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners are getting close enough to listen. And you better watch out. If they listen, really, there's going to be a rebellion. The way things are aren't going to stay that way for long. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Seems somehow the Pharisees thought they weren't in that classification themselves. Have you ever been there? You know, have you ever been so sure of yourself? They think they know who Jesus is supposed to hang out with, and it's supposed to be them. They've been having a hard time listening. And listening in a way that they can hear, that they can be changed, that they can be transformed. They're too invested in the way things are. But Jesus tries again. Tries again. Don't you just like it, the grumbling? is because other people are trying to listen? <laughs> Jesus tries again. In most churches around the world today, even though we're reading the same lectionary, they skip a part. And we added it back in today. Luke is one of those gospel writers and communities, perhaps because Luke is, by tradition, an outsider himself, a Gentile, that cannot tell a story like the prodigal without also saying something similar about someone who's not Jewish, a woman, a Samaritan, someone else who's not in the in-club. Luke gospel, Luke's gospel takes pains to make sure that you know that this isn't just for the in-crowd. This message is for 
All of us, everyone. And so today in the scripture you have three stories side by side, this triptych of stories of the lost son, the lost coin, and the lost sheep. And often they drop out when they're preaching today, the lost coin and the lost sheep. You know? But it's important that we add it back in, that Luke's community knew what they were doing when they added these stories side by side with one another in Jesus' preaching. I think if Luke's community was here today, they probably would have added a same-gender family. Searching for something, maybe those kids kicked out of homes down on the street. You see, Jesus is saying something harder than the Pharisees perhaps can hear, or maybe even us. Jesus pushes them to extend grace in new ways. And they're not good at it yet. Extend grace in most ways. He kind of catches them in the story, because in the story they are the elder brother, you know? And isn't it an insult to people that, you know, God's grace extends equally to both those brothers? Can God's grace insult you when it's applied to someone else? But there's a word beneath the word here. Jesus is telling us how God is and a bit about who God is. Jesus is telling us God is searching all the time, searching for you. God is searching. And we have to ask ourselves, are we ready to be found? But God is searching for you. And, and Jesus is saying something even more. More than this God who's searching in all these varieties of ways, God is exactly these that you want to keep out. We think of shepherds today in this wonderful, familiar, comfortable way and sing about them in beautiful hymns, you know, almost like they're angels. You know, in this day and time that Jesus is talking, they were stinky. You know, you didn't invite them to the dinner table because they just couldn't wash enough to get clean enough. You know? So Jesus is saying, these people you keep out, these people you keep away, God is a stinking shepherd. And that stinking shepherd is searching for you because you need to be found. God is a woman. Someone you might be treating as property at this moment that you might not let into the inner court of the temple. God is a woman searching for you because you need to be found. Amen. So Jesus is saying some hard stuff to these people who want God to look just like them. Have you done that before? I find it fascinating that in Virginia Mollencott, Ramey's, Ramey Mollencott's book, do you know her? Longtime writer of the movement, theologian. In her book called Sensual, Sensuous Spirituality, she has an appendix. And in the appendix, she lists all the ways in the Bible that people don't behave according to their gender. All these gender benders. It's a long list. And one of the people in her list is this father from the parable that we heard, or we saw acted out. Uh, she says this father didn't act like fathers were supposed to act. Sharing the wealth in the way the father did. This father was behaving too much like a mother in order to be respected by his peers. The fact that this father, do you like the way he ran down here? I don't think he flitted quite enough, but the way he ran from, from over here to over here to greet that son, 
you know? And the way uh, Virginia uh, talks about it, and another author, Rachel, she says, this is shameful, shameful behavior for a man, running off down the road like that, not caring how high his skirt goes and showing off his ankles. Shameful, shameful behavior. This gender-bending father acting like a mother, prioritizing compassion over judgment. So what is Jesus saying to these people there? God is searching for you right in and among these people that you don't value. God is searching for you. Are you ready to be found? And the grumbling continues. This is too hard to hear. I have to fess up that, you know, in this story, I most often in my life have been the elder brother. I showed up every Sunday. I didn't ever go away. If I did, not for too long, you know? I don't know where you are, but think about where you are in that account. These three images are all searching. Shepherd, woman, gender-bending father who acts like a mother. Searching. Are we ready to be found? Are we ready to be seen how God sees us? Is that going to prevail over anyone else's or our own judgment? Sometimes the world's designated script for us is just so strong, it's hard to believe in that word of grace. I'll tell you one day when I got lost, because we're talking about being lost and being found and God searching for us all the time. One day when I got lost, I was finishing my master's degree at University of Houston, my last semester, just a couple of months left to go, and it was going to be behind me. And I had come home because I was living at home because I was hoping to graduate debt-free. Do y'all remember there was a time and a place where people could graduate debt-free? So I was living at home and working and paying the bills, and I was coming home in the between shifts, finish class, go to the house before I go to work. And my mom found me there, and she said, Troy, we need to talk. And as all important conversations happened in our house, there was this uh, pretty ugly green tweed sofa <laughs> in the den. So we went and found ourselves on the green tweed sofa, and in our den it sat atop a sculpted harvest gold uh, shag carpet. We were styling people in Sharpstown. <laughs> and so we sat, sat on that sofa, and she looked at me and very carefully said, Troy, I think you are experimenting with homosexuality. And I thought, man, mom is intuitive. <laughs> this, is, this is good stuff, you know? Experimenting was the wrong word because I hadn't had a chance yet. <laughs> but I knew my first day was that next weekend, my first date was coming up on that weekend. Mom is paying attention. And so I said, yes. Um, it wasn't quite all true, but yes, uh, I am gay. In the next few moments, life changed dramatically, and as I knew it, wasn't going to be the same for quite a while. She said I needed to find a place to live immediately. I needed to leave. She would call Dad to be home when I came back to pick up my things so I could have that help, but she didn't want to be there. She would call the church and let them know I wouldn't be back to help with the youth group. And she would call the pastor to get me on the prayer list. You know? 
She knew what she needed to pray for me. She would let the family know, too, so they could start praying for me as well. So in an instant, I went from a beloved son to someone who was unsafe to be around young people, someone who was unwelcome in my home, unwelcome in my church. And all this from the person through whom I most clearly knew God's love, because that's who mom was for me. And so I got lost for more than a day. It turned into a season. Just didn't ever go back to church. You know, if what mom said was true, I shouldn't. I'm thankful for me it wasn't a decade or a life like it has been for so many of us on our journey. One Sunday afternoon at the end of summer, I was walking up Lower Westheimer with my current crush. Um... I was 24 years old, and we're going up Lower Westheimer, and you know how you are giddy in those stages. We weren't, we weren't holding hands or anything, but we would just kind of bump into each other as we're walking down the street. You know, just can't be separated too long until you make a connection. And uh, we weren't paying too much attention, and then we heard the shout, faggot. And it caught our attention, and then we heard the word faggot again, and we couldn't move fast enough for the knife. It stabbed Ken and put him on the ground bleeding. It was a blur of blood and police and emergency people and emergency rooms, hospital. I was afraid. And I was still lost. I did remember. My mom was good enough to, she had some good teachings for me. She said, when you are in trouble, pray. And when you were in trouble, go to church. So I took a deep breath, and that next Sunday, I hazarded my way into a congregation down in Montrose. I sat on the next to the back row, because the back row was already full. <laughs> I waited the whole service through to see if I was going to get condemned. I listened in the prayers, I listened in the music, I listened to the words of the pastor. Am I going to get condemned here? But I stayed in and it didn't, wasn't happening the way I thought it was going to. Then they served communion, something very important to my sister and I. When we were little ones, we used to run up to the front of the table after communion. They used bread and we would finish it off. <laughs> bread and grape juice. It was snack time. But I tell you what, it's deep within me. It's deep. Communion is deep within me. So I was so thankful they were serving communion that day. So I made it through communion, nothing bad happened. In the last hymn, I'm getting ready to bolt. And I feel a hand on my shoulder. Pressure, holding tight, I was not getting away. And I said, oh no. Here it comes. So I turn around and look into the face of Eva Toon, 83 years old, wrinkled like a map. She's got a hold of me, and she's not letting go. She said, you be good this week and come back next Sunday. Oh, Lord, I needed a grandmother God. Grab me by the shoulder and say, you belong here. Don't listen to what those other people are saying. This is home. 
I found out later that Eva and her friends, 78 and up, had decided that they would all sit in the back row of the church and fill it up. <laughs> At their age, they had noticed young people coming in and running out, and they just weren't fast enough to get to them. But they knew they needed the welcome. They knew, to, they knew they needed to hear, God's searching for you. Are you ready to be found? And they knew they needed to extend that welcome to whoever came through those doors. I even found out later, Eva, for those of you Broadway geeks, her last name is Toon. Her son is Tommy Toon, and he's a Broadway dancer person. How gay is that? Tommy? <laughs> Tommy Toon's mother brought me back into the church because <laughs> she chose to sit on the back pew. Well, we're still preparing for Easter, and Jesus is still saying some hard things that upturn our world. But as we prepare for Easter this time in this place, God is searching for you, and God is asking, are you ready to be found? Are you ready to be found? Easter's coming. Are you ready to be found? Amen.